My name is Jerry. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm going to guess that many of you are like me right now when it comes to the news. You are trying to find ways to watch the news without getting sucked into the news cycle. But every once in a while, there's a story that pulls you in. And I came across one of those stories this week. It was about a meteorologist in Pennsylvania named Phil Connors. And Mr. Connors claims that he's been experiencing a rare form of dementia recently. And for the last several weeks, he wakes up every morning and he says he's reliving the same day over and over and over again, the previous day, down to a T. And at first I wanted to laugh his story off. I thought, that, that sounds ridiculous. But the longer I watched, I thought, this, this poor guy, this is his reality. And the sad thing is it was starting to take a toll mentally and emotionally on his family. But here's the strangest part of the whole story. When asked, okay, well, when did this begin? He didn't skip a beat. He said, February 2nd of this year. And I thought, that's weird. What, what was happening on February 2nd? Well, oddly enough, it was Groundhog Day. Now, there's one other detail about this story that you probably need to know. I didn't see it in the news, but you've probably seen this story too, because that is the plot line for the movie Groundhog Day. And speaking of Groundhog Day, didn't the groundhog see his shadow a little early? Wasn't the spring supposed to come like soon, but we had snow this week. I think it's time to get a new groundhog. I don't know about you. Now, in our home, every day has felt like Groundhog Day for the last several weeks, and it just feels like there's no end inside. And it's caused my wife, Casey, and I to ask some really important questions. Questions like, did I take a shower today? When was the last time I brushed my teeth? Now, I'm hoping that many of you have asked questions like that. If not, please don't judge the Neville household. But here's one I bet you can relate to. How many of you have wondered, what day is it? I've just totally lost track. Well, you're not alone. In fact, my friend, the O'Coles in, in Carmel, they've started uh, this in their home. They have a tick mark system so we can know how long we've been in quarantine. And every day they just replace the day so they know exactly what day it is. And I'm sure that many of us can relate to that. But here's the truth. I think we're all asking questions right now, but they're really not that amusing. I think we're asking questions like, how long is this going to last? What's gonna happen if I lose my job? Or, or here's one, what would I do if, if I or somebody in my family catches COVID-19, what would we do then? And if there's anything we can learn from this season of life right now, it's that life can be hard, it can be frustrating and discouraging. And in these times, there's all kinds of questions that weigh on our heart and weigh on our minds. And here's the worst part of the whole thing. We don't know where to go to find answers to questions like that. We just have to wait and look and live through this season together. So today we're beginning a brand new series that is designed to dive into some of these deeper questions in life, the deepest and most difficult questions that we struggle with on a regular basis. It's called Explore God, and it's a series that a number of churches have gone through around the country over the last year. And there are a variety of resources, if you're interested, at explorego.com. But over the next seven weeks as a church family, we're going to be digging into seven big questions that have to do with things like God and faith and purpose and meaning in life. But before we jump in, I want to address two groups of people. I'm gonna guess that there's some of you out there that have been invited to watch by a friend or a family member, but you would say, look, I'm not into this Jesus thing and I am skeptical of religion altogether. It's okay, I get it. I bet somebody in the past has hurt you or it just doesn't make sense or doesn't add up. I want you to know this, we're glad that you're here and you and your questions and your doubts will always be welcomed 
at Genesis. But would you be willing to admit that there are times that you ask questions about spiritual things? Because if so, I hope these next seven weeks will be helpful for you. I just wanna invite you to join us in this conversation. Now, the next group of people I wanna talk to are those of us that are around here on a regular basis. We would even say we're following Jesus. And it might be tempting for us to wanna tune out right now, but don't do that. I wanna encourage you to lean in. Don't just assume because you've been around church your whole life or you read the Bible that you have all the answers to these questions. I want you to lean in and study scripture and let's learn what God says about these things so we can grow closer in our relationship to Jesus, but also so we're equipped and we're prepared to help the people in our life that are asking these hard questions. And there's one last thing I wanna say before we dive in today. And that is, here's the goal of the series. It is not to debate all these topics. Okay, it is not to convince anyone of what they should or shouldn't believe. We just wanna plow through these questions together. We wanna start a conversation where we can talk about these things that matter to all of us. In fact, if after today's sermon, or, or maybe you've been thinking about this recently, you thought, I just wish there was somebody I could talk to. Well, Ben mentioned earlier, we're gonna have the virtual rooms after service, but I wanna encourage you to email us at info at genesischurch.me. And our team of pastors and staff would love to make an appointment with you, whether that's over Zoom or a phone call this week, or we can just talk through some of your questions. So don't pass up this opportunity. So if we're asking big questions, where do we begin today? Well, I wanna start with a question that I think a lot of us, I know I have been struggling with a lot recently. And that is this question right here. Does life have a purpose? And over these last several weeks, I think we've all been struggling to figure out the answer to this question. And this isn't a new question, this is an ancient question. And I am convinced no matter how long people have been walking on this planet, every human being at some point in time is gonna wrestle with this question at least once. But here's what I find fascinating. 3000 years ago, there was a man who wrote on this topic. He was a king in ancient Israel and his name was Solomon. But here's what's interesting about Solomon. He wasn't just known for being a king in Israel. He was known for being the wisest, richest, and the most powerful king in the world at that time. But apparently for Solomon, that job title of wisest, richest, and most powerful king, it wasn't enough for him because he took all of his resources at some point in his life and he launched out on a grand experiment to try and taste and touch and feel and see and experience everything he could get his hands on to see if it would give him purpose and meaning in life. And thankfully for us, he wrote down his discoveries in an Old Testament book called Ecclesiastes. And so this is where we're gonna be studying today. And so if you have a Bible in front of you, I wanna encourage you to turn to Ecclesiastes and here's the easy way to find it. Flip to the middle of your Bible. You'll probably be in Psalms, go Psalms, Proverbs, and then you'll land in Ecclesiastes. If you don't have a Bible, I wanna encourage you to download a free resource called the YouVersion Bible. This is completely free. There's all kinds of translations and reading plans that you can use throughout the week. But here's the thing, if you don't wanna do that, or if you're not able to do that right now, it's okay because we're gonna have all the passages that you need right here. Now, the book of Ecclesiastes is a compilation of reflections on the meaning of life. So it's a really good place for us to start when we're looking for purpose. But here's what I think is the best part about the whole book. Solomon begins in chapter one by answering our question for us. Does life have a purpose? So if you have a pen and paper, I think you wanna grab it and you're gonna to wanna to write this down because he answers the question, this important question for us. And here it is in Ecclesiastes 1-2, he says this, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything 
is meaningless. Well, man, isn't that encouraging? I mean, I bet that's where you thought we would land or you hope we would, that would be the answer, right? Now, I wanna give Solomon a little bit of credit here because many scholars believe that when he wrote these words, his family had just been quarantined to the palace and he and his wife were trying to figure out e-learning for their kids. And so it seemed meaningless. Okay, I made that part up, but I bet that there's a parent right now standing saying, yes, amen, what is the point? It just seems meaningless to us. Now, here's the thing. If you keep reading through Ecclesiastes, you might think that meaningless is Solomon's favorite word because in 12 chapters, he uses this particular word 38 different times. But before we label him as being the original Debbie Downer, I think it might help us to understand what the word he was using actually means in Hebrew. The Hebrew word is the word Havel, and it means emptiness, futility, or vapor. Now, I want you to think about the meanings of all of those words, but specifically, I want you to pay attention to that word vapor. Vapor is something that is temporary or short-lived. It appears to have substance at first, but as soon as you try to reach it, what happens? It's, it's gone. And Solomon says, oh yeah, that's exactly what life is like. Now to illustrate his point, I've brought something that we use in our home on a regular basis. Maybe you have one of these. It's a vaporizer. And once you plug this guy in and you turn it on, it immediately begins producing this steady stream of vapor. And I, I just did it, right? Anytime you turn one of these on, whether you're an adult or a kid, what do you do? You try to mess with it because you can't really grab a hold of it. And Solomon says, that is exactly what life is like. It is a vapor. It is a mist. It fades immediately. Now, that is really a painful truth for us to embrace, isn't it? There's nothing really encouraging about that, but I, I want you to take a moment and think about the things in life that we're tempted to chase after that just leave us feeling empty in the end. I mean, how long does it take for a new car or a new house to start to feel old and worn out? Have you ever wanted a job so bad you could taste it, but then six months or a year later, you're like, yeah, there's another job at another place that I think I'd like a little better. Are any of you like me? And when you look at your bank account or your 401k, you think, I just wish I had a little more. A little more would make me feel better, but is enough ever really enough? And here's the truth. I mean, this is true with fashion and food. It's true with friends. If we can get in the right friend group, right? We just feel like, oh, we'll have all the purpose that we could need in life. And just, it's really not true though. They're gonna let us down. It's true with family. We can buy into the lie that if we just marry the perfect person, we'll have all the purpose and meaning that we need in our life. But then we have a time of quarantine and we realize that person doesn't shower or change their clothes or brush their teeth. They're gross. They're gonna let us down. It's just, it's part of what we do as humans. Some of us think that if I could be a parent, I would have all the purpose and meaning that I need. But then after you become a parent, you realize, well, my kid's number one goal in life is to rebel against me so they can have all my stuff when I die. Now I'm kidding, but only just a little, right? Like you, you get it, everything in life, it doesn't matter what it is. It just feels like mist, it, it feels meaningless to us. And listen to how Solomon explained his endeavors to find purpose in the midst of life. Look at what he says in Ecclesiastes 1.16. He said, I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. And so he begins by pursuing wisdom and knowledge because it looks solid. It looks good. But what he says is in the end, it, it just left me feeling empty. And so think of, think of the things that we've pursued, the degree or the certification. How often have we tried to be the smartest person in, a room, in the room? Solomon 
pursued that and look at what he says in verse 17. He said, I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. It's, it's meaningless. And at the end of the day, what Solomon is saying is if you're pursuing wisdom and knowledge to find purpose in life, you're gonna have a full head, but your heart is gonna feel empty and restless. But Solomon didn't stop with wisdom and knowledge. He pursued something else that many of us can relate to. He, he pursued accomplishments. And so listen to what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter two, verses four through six. He said, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. Now look, there are a lot, there are a lot of wealthy and wise people in and around Hamilton County. But do you know anyone who has personally built a palace, a vineyard, a reservoir, and a massive temple in one of the most influential cities in the world? Now, when we compare our accomplishments to Solomon's, it's like, oh, those don't even compare, right? But that's not the point. How many of us are tempted to buy into the lie that we are the sum of our accomplishments? I mean, this is me right here. We think they're gonna give us meaning. They're gonna make us feel important or needed. But for some reason, it's never enough. There's always another sales goal to hit or there's another thing that we could do to make ourselves better or known by others. And Solomon could relate. And so once accomplishments didn't fill him, he pursued collecting wealth and amassing huge piles of wealth. And listen to what he says in Ecclesiastes 2.9 in his own words. He said, I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. He says, look, I became the richest person I knew or I had ever heard of in it didn't fill me up. It was just like I was reaching at things that I couldn't hold on to. So then where do you turn? Well, he turned to a place that a lot of us turn when everything else fails us. He pursued pleasure and food and drink and a, a lifestyle of, of partying. And his pursuits have inspired a very familiar phrase that I bet you've heard before. Eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die, we're gone. And there's no evidence that we were ever here in the first place. So are you, are you starting to get Solomon's point? This is a guy who literally had everything, anything he wanted. And at the end of the day, he said, it's just a vapor. It's, it's like chasing after the wind. And so it brings us back to our original question. Okay, then where do you go to find purpose? Where do you look? If you jump to the very end of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, I just find this fascinating. The very end, the last two verses, listen to what he says. Now, all has been heard. I've done my experiments and this is my finding. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Now, there's one thing I wanna tell you about Solomon that you might not know. Don't assume that he was a really moral man. He was wise, but he wasn't necessarily smart. And there was a period of his life when he wandered far away from God. He worshiped other gods. And so when he says, here's the deal, the best thing that you can do is fear God and keep his commandments, I think he was learning a hard lesson. Now this word fear, it doesn't mean terror or fright. It actually carries with it a sense of reverence and awe towards God that leads to thankfulness and love. In other words, Solomon is explaining why we tend to feel and experience that deep 
restlessness that nags at our soul no matter what we accomplish or acquire. And Solomon says, hey, please just learn from my mistakes. Because here's the truth. According to Solomon, we can seek after all kinds of things to fill us up, to make us feel important and valuable. But apart from knowing God personally, you're never gonna find, you're never gonna know, and you're never gonna experience the purpose and the peace that we were meant to experience on this earth. In fact, Solomon is pointing out that that restlessness that we feel always has been there to call us back home to the most important relationship that we, we exist to experience, and that is a restored relationship with God as our heavenly father. And in a world full of vapor and mist, God is the only thing that's solid, that we can depend on all the time, no matter what. Now look, I'm gonna be honest, okay? I bet all of you realized at some point that I was gonna land somewhere in this neighborhood, right? And, and I, I get that. But in light of everything that we can learn from Solomon, I just wanna challenge all of us to take a next step as we explore God together. And first, I wanna talk to those of us that are saying, look, I don't buy into this God thing. I don't even believe that the Bible is real. I'm just here because my neighbor invited me. I'm here because I didn't think anybody would notice. Okay, I, I get it. Thanks for journeying with us. I am so glad that you're here. But don't you have questions? Don't you have doubts sometimes? I wanna encourage you over these next several weeks to join us. You've made it through one week. Why not go six more and just continue to explore God? But here's my challenge for you. I wanna challenge you to make a bet on God. And you're probably thinking, well, what kind of pastor is this guy? Can pastors make bets in church? Well, thank you, but it, it's, this idea is not original with me. There's a 17th century uh, mathematician um, named Blaise Pascal. Maybe you've heard of him before, but he was known for being one of the greatest intellects in the history of Western civilization. And here's the thing. He grew up like many of us. He grew, grew up knowing about God, but he admitted, I just never pursued him. I, I never really cared. But then one night in the middle of the night, this brilliant man had an experience with God and he didn't know how to explain it in any other way. And it ignited a passion for God in his heart that caused him to live his life in a way that he was helping people find their way back to God. And he began challenging his fellow intellectuals by, to place a wager on God. And it's known as Pascal's wager. And this is how it goes. He said, make a bet that there is a God who loves you. And if you're right, look, you have everything to gain. But if you're wrong, you have nothing to lose. So make a bet that God is real. And so if you're wrestling with the idea of God at all, that's okay. If you don't know what to believe or if you're scared because there's Christians that you know that aren't very kind, I get it, I get it. But would you be willing, willing to place a bet on God? A bet is simply the decision to risk something on a possible positive outcome. And what do you have to lose? And so here's part of this challenge. I wanna ask you to do something that you probably swore you'd never, ever, ever do. And I won't tell anybody. It's the secret between me and you. I won't tell anybody. I want to encourage you to pray a really simple prayer. If you don't know where to start, pray this prayer. God, if you're real, will you make yourself real to me? Now you might be thinking, Jerry, that's a joke. Okay, place a bet on God. What do you have to lose? Go into a quiet room 
when you're mowing grass, when you're out on a run, when you're driving around in your car, just say, okay, God, I get it. If you're real, just show me that you're real. And then ask for eyes and ears to see and to hear him. That was Pascal's experience. And I think it could be yours too. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, I wanna encourage you to pray that prayer because it's good for us to always be reminded of the reality of God. But I have a different challenge for you. I want you to wrestle with this question. Am I truly grabbing hold of God? Or am I still just trying to grab at all the vapor in the world around me? Because let's be honest with one another, guys. Even though we confess a faith in Jesus, do we not look a lot like the world sometime and we just chase after all this stuff? And I think we gotta ask ourselves a question, especially right now, are we really clinging to God? Now, Jesus knew that all of us humans had a tendency to chase after things that would not fill us up. And in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he addressed this issue specifically. And it sounds similar to what Solomon would say. Look at what he says in Matthew 6, 25. These are Jesus's words. He says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, about what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Now, Jesus isn't saying that food and clothing isn't important. That's not, what his, that's not his point. His point is he is warning any and all of us to find purpose in things in life that we think are gonna fill us up. But then Jesus gives us a better solution. He gives us an answer to this question, does life have purpose? Listen to what he says in verse 33. He says, but seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. All these other things will be given to you. Jesus is saying, look, place a bet on God. Get out of the way and live for his kingdom instead of your own and watch and pay attention to what he can do. Now that's a simple message that those of us that follow Jesus need to be reminded of constantly so we can recalibrate our life and line ours up with the way Jesus wants us to live. But again, I'm gonna go out on a limb today and I'm gonna guess that some of you are tuning in and you don't know where to turn, but you were like, oh, the Bible, that's a joke. Or how do we even know that Solomon lived in the first place? I get it. I'm not gonna argue those points with you, but here's one thing that we know to be true. And this isn't just a scriptural principle. This is a, this is a principle of life. It doesn't matter what we acquire. It doesn't matter how smart we are. It does, none of that matters because at the end, guess what? We're all gonna die. I'm gonna die. You're gonna die. One of us is gonna be next. And I think that's what has us so scared right now with this COVID-19 outbreak. It's death. But scripture teaches that death is the reason that Jesus came to this earth in the first place. It was his purpose. He came to live and fulfill his purpose on this earth so that we could experience our purpose for eternity with our heavenly father. And if you're looking for purpose today, if you were to ask me, I would just say, you don't have to look any further than Jesus. Just investigate the claims of who he is because this is what the New Testament teaches us. The New Testament teaches that Jesus has died for all of our sins to pay for them. And then three days later, he rose from the dead to prove that he's God in the flesh and he has the power to do exactly what he claimed to do. And then he says this, look, if you wanna trust in me, here's what I would ask you to do. Trust in my sacrifice on your behalf. You can't pay it, I've paid it for you, you're good. And then I want you to repent. I want you to turn away from the sinful habits that we all have that are pulling you away from God in the first place. Repent and turn back to God. And then Jesus would just say, just believe me, follow me. 
and let me show you how to live. And here's what's awesome. Jesus says, if you do that, here's the good news. You're forgiven. And all that stuff that haunts you about your past and all the uncertainties of the future, all the bad mistakes you're gonna make in the future, it's gonna be forgiven. And you're gonna be restored in your relationship with your heavenly father. And that is really good news that can give us hope and purpose in a world that is overrun with bad news. And so here's my question. What do you have to lose? Does life feel a lot like this? Wouldn't you like to hold on to something firm? Why don't you take this bet? Make this bet with God. And for those of us that follow Jesus, maybe it's time to let go of the world and really hold on to him. Would you pray with me? Father, I'm so thankful for your word. I'm thankful that these words of Solomon were, were captured in Ecclesiastes and they're just true. We all have things that we pursue that just leave us feeling empty. And so I wanna pray for everyone watching right now and all of us listening. Help every one of us to pray this prayer. God, if you're real, would you make yourself real to me? And I pray for our friends that have tuned in today that thought the last place on earth I ever wanna be is in a church. The last thing on earth I ever wanna do is pray. Father, my prayer for them. I just pray that you would soften their heart. And I pray that you would give them eyes to see you and ears to hear you because I believe you love them and you love us more than we could ever imagine. Father, would you break through the darkness of this world and would you help us to see Jesus for who he is? Thank you, Jesus. We love you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.